Growing up, I grew up in a household where Christmas was the holiday. It was a legal opportunity to demonstrate selfishness. It was like, man, I get a chance to go even before my family and expect the gift that I've been waiting for all year. And so I remember growing up and Christmas was definitely a special time for me, not only because of the gifts that I would get, but of course, again, spending time with my family. I come from a large family. I'm the youngest of eight. So, you know, I come from a big family and I love big families. And, you know, that was a time that me and all of my brothers and sisters and mom and dad would come together and we would just have a blast. So I know that many of us have different ideas and concepts when we think about Christmas. But there's some things that I want to share with you that I hope will be both educational as well as edifying and just give us a different view uh, or an additional view to this wonderful holiday and how we may honor God with it. And so as we prepare our hearts to receive the word, I'm going to go ahead and have a word of prayer. And I'm going to kneel to do that. So if you'd like to join me, please kneel with me. If you cannot kneel, just bow your heads reverently and let's go ahead and prepare our hearts to receive the word. Our loving Father, we are very grateful, Lord, because you have truly made this a high day because it is both the Sabbath and it also is a time of the year that many hearts are reflecting upon thy son and our savior, Jesus Christ. And so we're very grateful for this Christmas season and we are very thankful for the gift of your son. And Lord, we avail ourselves at this time because we know there's even more that you want to give to us, but we're praying that you'll please forgive us of anything that we have said, done, or entertained in our thoughts that have offended you. We pray that you will truly give us the gift of true repentance and that we will turn away from the things that break your heart. And Lord, we ask that you will endow us with your Holy Spirit and that we might have the mind of Christ and that even as we go through your word, Lord, that you will open our eyes and help us behold wondrous things out of your law. Bless us now to this end. Thank you for this sweet fellowship. And Lord, in a special way, I want to remember every family that has to, for the first time in their lives, go through such a precious holiday season without their loved ones. I think about so many people that I know personally and that you have been impressing on my heart to pray for. And so I just want to lift up the McKeever household, the Franklin household, Sister Jude's household. And Lord, there's so many households that we can't call it all by name, but we're grateful you know them all. May your comfort be with these families in a most marked manner. And we are grateful that you have not only heard, but we trust that you've answered this prayer. For we do ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us go to the book of Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to the book of Isaiah chapter 9. I want us to just go ahead and see something that the Bible makes very clear. Because as I said, growing up, I grew up in a very irreligious home. I mean, we were not religious by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we did not believe. Well, I guess you would say we believed in God, but not really. I mean, like, you know, we intellectually knew that there was a creator, but there was no worship in my home. And I always let young people know that if you grew up in a home where mother and father call you for worship, uh, you know, if you're growing up in a home where your family values Bible study, if you're growing up in a home where you have parents that actually pray with you about issues, you have no idea how blessed you are. It's like I'll say that to every young brother and sister in this room. You are so incredibly blessed because I did not grow up in a home like that. I remember one time I got a phone call and it was a phone call from a gang and the gang was saying that they were going to come to my house and kill me. 
And I remember they said they were going to come to my house and spray my house. And the word spray meant they were going to use a semi-automatic gun. And it was just, you know, just come to my house and just shoot us all up. And uh, I remember being nervous about that because, you know, I'm like, man, somebody's going to try to kill me. And uh, it's a long story, but, you know, I got myself into a little bit of trouble. But here's the point. I remember that my father picked up the phone and my father was a former gangster. You know, so my dad was a really tough guy. And when they called and was like, yeah, yeah, you know, we're going to come to your house. We're going to kill you and all this other stuff. Um, I got off the phone. My heart's racing. I'm nervous. And I remember my father came to me and my father said, son, listen, the next time they call you back, he says, if they tell you that they're going to kill you, he says, I want you to remember to tell them this. Tell them, come to my house. He's telling me to tell them, come to the house. (laughs) And he says, tell them, all right, come to the house. And he says, tell them, but remember, when you come here, remember, you are not bulletproof. And then my father reached in his back pocket and pulled out a gun. And he left it on a table in front of me. And he said, use it if you have to. I need to go to work. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I was, what, 16, maybe 17? And, you know, and I'm I'm looking at a gun in front of me. And I've fired guns many times, but, you know, I never fired it to try to kill somebody. And it it was just, you know, I look back at that and how much I would have loved to have had a father that said, son, let's pray. Son, let's look to the word of God and let's look to his promises about how the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him because they trust in him. I mean, how valuable... That would have been to me as a teenager to have a dad that would pray with me, that would admonish me in the word of God and assure me that even when evil men want to come and do evil things, that we have a higher protection, even better than the best of the military forces of this world. And so it is that I'm just simply saying that growing up for me was very, very secular. And there's tons of disadvantages with that. And if you're growing up in a home where you have worship, If you're growing up in a home where mom and dad actually pray with you about issues, they direct you to the words of the living God on how to solve a problem. Young people, you have no idea how blessed you are and you need to thank God and you need to cherish your blessings because to have a mom and dad that's acquainted with our heavenly father is a beautiful thing. To have a home where the home desires to work and to operate in the fear and admonition of the Lord. What a blessed home to be in. And so it is as a result of growing up in such an irreligious environment. When Christmas came, like I said, it was an opportunity for selfishness. It it was like you had a right to be selfish. And, you know, all we wanted was gifts. But it was amazing how we never really thought about the gift of why this season even exists. And that gift is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah 9, we're considering verse 6. And it says in Isaiah 9 and verse 6, for unto us... A child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is the gift that God has given to humanity. It was the gift of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And God wanted us to understand that in that gift encompasses all of the blessings that humanity could ever experience. The Bible says something that we often don't consider. When Jesus came into this world, when he was born and when he lived and died and rose, there was such incredible benefits that came to humanity that I love how Paul spells it out in the book of Acts chapter 17. Let's turn there. If we really understood the gift of Jesus Christ coming to humanity and all that encompasses in it. Often when we think about Christ coming to this world, some people just look at him as a historical figure. Some other individuals will look at him as their personal Lord and Savior. But I want us to understand something so beautiful about this gift that came, that child that was born. And the Bible spells it out very nicely in Acts 17. Paul is finding himself in Athens, Greece, and as he's there, he's coming in contact with a bunch of pagans, and they're worshiping an idol, and they're worshiping a god that they don't know, to the point that they're really open about it. It's like worshiping to the unknown god. I mean, they actually have it inscribed on the actual altar. And here it is that Paul says, well, let me let you know who God is. And as Paul starts breaking down who God is, Paul begins to say, listen, guys, this shouldn't even be a surprise to you because even some of your own writers, Paul was a super educated brother because he didn't just know the words of God. He knew the words of other pagan poets. And here it is. He's saying even your writers and poets have said thus and so. And let's notice one of the things that they said in Acts 17. It was in Acts 17 in verse 28. It says, for in him, talking about Jesus, the God that they don't know, he says, for in him, we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So literally, Paul is letting him know every single time we move, it is because of that child that was born. I remember one time I was working with an uh, organization that worked with people who were mentally disabled and dually diagnosed. They were kind of going through mental retardation, mental illness and stuff like that. And I remember that I was walking with a lady. Her name was Irene. And, you know, Irene needed a little bit of help. You know, she kind of had this little kind of like way that she walked that wasn't like everybody else when they walked. And I remember one time that we were walking and I just did something like, you know, we were, we were walking from the street. And, you know, we had to walk over the curb and then just keep going. And for me, that was easy to do. But I remember looking back and I remember looking at Irene and Irene literally was stuck. She was still stuck on the street and she's kind of like going like this. And for her to just walk over a curb was like a major task because of the way things were going on inside of her mind that unfortunately negatively impacted her. And I think to myself sometimes how we live and we move and we have our being like I'm looking at you, but at the same time, I'm able to know like where I'm going at every step at every single time. Right. We don't understand how much our brain is firing information that keeps us coordinated so that we could even do that without even looking. We take for granted the reality that because of that son that was born, I live, I move literally your ability to even take your fingers and to turn a page. Go to somebody who's suffering with Lou Gehrig's disease. Ask them to pick up a book and turn a page. Watch how hard it is. We don't understand how blessed we are because of the gift of the son that came into this world. And this is something that Christmas time affords us an opportunity to think about it, to meditate on it and to consider it and to appreciate it. Coming up in New York, especially inner city black youth, I was surrounded by religion, Hebrew Israelites, Muslims, 
lots of different heathen organizations and stuff like that. And I remember when I became a Christian, they came to me and they said, well, do you believe in Christmas? And I said, yeah, sure, I do. And I remember they said, cease, you practice paganism. And I was like, is that right? And they said, yeah. And they said, yeah. They said, Christian is, Christmas is a pagan holiday. And I said, really? And I said, tell me about it. And they began to tell me about it. And I learned some things. And I had to admit, whenever you read Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, and it talks about that guy named Nimrod. And Nimrod was a mighty hunter against the Lord. The, word, the King James uses the word before. But the word before in the Hebrew is actually against. Nimrod was somebody that was against God. And it was believed in pagan practice that when Nimrod died, an enemy of God, that his spirit ascended into the sun, and hence they began to practice sun worship. And in this sun worship, they looked at Nimrod as the sun god, the chief god. But it was also believed that Nimrod had a wife, and her name was Isis. And Isis was miraculously impregnated, and when Isis was miraculously impregnated, she ended up bringing a child into this world of his name is in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 8 and verse 14. And his name was Tammuz. And Tammuz was born on December 25. If Nimrod was the sun god or the chief god, then Tammuz must have been the son of God. And so the historical facts are true that Christmas is rooted in paganism. That's a fact. Can't deny it. And so when they shared that with me, they said, now, now that you know that, are you still going to celebrate Christmas? And then I said, yes. And they said, why? And I said, because of Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. Let's turn there. In Genesis 50 and verse 20, the Bible tells us a most powerful truth. In Genesis, the 50th chapter and the 20th verse. The Bible imparts wisdom unto his people, and God wants us to receive this wisdom. Yes, it is true that Christmas in its origin is pagan. Yes, that's true. So somebody says, so then why do you celebrate Christmas? And it's because of Genesis 50 and verse 20. You see, the Bible says in Genesis 50 and verse 20, Joseph is talking to his family members, and he's talking to those who betrayed him and used him and abused him and, of course, did all sorts of wrong to him. But now Joseph is in an elevated position. And Joseph responds to his family by saying, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. You had wicked plans. You guys were practicing and planning evil, but God saw your plans and God took your evil plan and he used it ultimately to bring good and salvation. So guess what? Yes, Christmas may have its roots in paganism, but this is the one time of the year that it has never been easier to proclaim, to lift up and to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. It has never been a time like this year. You can walk inside of Macy's or wherever and you can boldly go to people and say, hey, pray Praise the Lord and God bless you. And even on the job when they could probably get fired, they're like, praise the Lord and God bless you too. People are bold during this month. People are more open than ever to talk about Jesus. People are more open than ever to say things like God bless you. And so we are to take advantage of that. And we are to use this time to say, listen, there's no other time of the year that people's minds are meditating on Christ. There's no other time of the year that people are thinking so much about Jesus. 
December should be one of the most, and it's interesting because whenever we think of evangelism, we always think of these warm, comforting times of the year. But believe it or not, December is the best month of the entire 12 months of the year to do evangelism. It's the best month. Why? Because people are thinking about the Savior. How many people's hearts have been turned to God during the Christmas season? Because again, they're not thinking about Tammuz and Nimrod and Isis. They're thinking about Jesus. And so what we do as wise children of God, for he who wins souls is wise. What we do is we take advantage of this holiday in lifting up and magnifying the name of the Savior. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So these are things that we just want to consider when people begin to bring all this information to us. But there's something special about the fact that Christ came. And it should be something that is on our minds well beyond the month of December. It should be on our minds in January, February, March, April, and May. But here's the reality. While we have the privilege of having this Christmas season and we have this opportunity to speak of and talk and lift up our Savior, while we have this time, the reality is that Christianity in America is actually on a decline. Christianity in America is actually on a decline. Okay? People are leaving organized religion. And Christianity is, of course, one of the chief organized religions. You know, you have Judaism and Islam as well. But a lot of people are leaving Christianity and they're just more happy be, being just simply religious, you know, just being religious people, whatever that means to them. And the reality is, is that the more that we seem to talk about Jesus to other people today and the importance of surrendering their lives to him and the importance of being Christians, we're finding that a lot of people are not as responsive. They're not as open. Now, I'm having personal success. You know, there are others in this room that I know you're having personal success. But when we do Pew Research and these type of things that they're doing reviews by the thousands and hundreds of thousands and what have you, what they're seeing is that there's actually a decline. That there are individuals that are leaving Christianity, turning away from Christ, walking away from the church. And when I think about this reality, it brings me back to this idea of Jesus being born. You see, Jesus was born, but he was born with a purpose. And the purpose that Christ was born for is found in Matthew chapter one. Now, let's turn there because I want us to see something that's very important. In Matthew chapter one, we had our young brothers and sisters that we were studying with last night and we kind of went over this. But we're going to take it a little deeper today. In Matthew chapter one. The story of Christ being born, that is not the limit of the Christmas season because Jesus was born. But guess what? So were you. And so was I. What makes his birth more special than my birth? Because I was born, too. Why don't we make March 22 a holiday? I'd like that. You know, <laughs> maybe that'd be bad for me. But nevertheless, you know, Dwayne Day. I don't know if that'll work. But nevertheless, the key is, is that we all were born. We all were born on a certain day, but nobody's making holidays about it, right? Nobody's doing all these things. So what is it about Jesus being born? And the Bible says it in Matthew 1 and verse 21. In Matthew 1 and verse 21, it tells us something very important. It says, and she shall bring forth a son. Talking about that same son in Isaiah 9. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And then it says, for he shall do something very special. What's he going to do? He's going to save his people from their sins. Now, question, if I'm in a fire, let's say I'm in a house, fire's burning, and the fire's burning really bad, and it's a wall of fire that's just closing in on me, right? 
So let's say I'm on, you're on the inside, I'm on the outside. And if I'm on the outside and I say to you, don't worry, I'm going to help you out. And I go ahead and give you some assurance. And then I take a blanket, a thick blanket, and I find a bucket of water, right? I dip the blanket in the bucket of water, wrap myself around it, walk through the wall of fire, and now here I am with you. And then I say to you, get in the blanket. Would you get in? Okay, you're smart. Good. Now, you get in the blanket with me, right? And I say, hold on. And we just stay right there. <laughs> Question, am I saving you in the fire or am I saving you from the fire? I'm saving you in the fire. What is the problem with that? Sooner or later, the fire is going to get closer. It's going to lick up all the water in the blanket. The blanket is going to get dry. It's going to catch fire, and we're both going to get burnt to a crisp, right? So being saved in the fire does not work. Now watch this. Let's do plan number two. Here it is. There's a fire going on. You're inside of the fire. The wall of fire is closing in on you. I'm on the outside. You're on the inside. I let you know and say, don't worry about it. I got you. I'm going to take care of you. And then I take a blanket, very thick dip it and drench it in the water, wrap myself around it, burst through the wall of fire. I say to you, get in the blanket. Are you getting in the blanket? Okay, you're still smart. You get inside the blanket. I pick you up, walk through the wall of fire, and now I go to a place of safety. Question, am I saving you in the fire or did I save you from the fire? I saved you from the fire. There's no more danger. It no longer has dominion over you. Are you following that? The Bible says that Jesus came not to save man in sin, but to save man what? From sin. To deliver us to the point that sin no longer has dominion over you. You might have been a drug addict, but not anymore. You might have been a sex addict, but not anymore. You might have had a rude, obnoxious, horrible attitude where you're just constantly being mean and obnoxious and terrible to people. But now God has delivered you from that and you actually have become a nice, pleasant person. It's victory over sin. This is the reason for that gift of that son who came to this world to save us, not in sin, but to save us from sin. But watch this. While the world at large is celebrating the fact that he came. Many are ignoring or forgetting the purpose of him coming. And we must tell the other side of that story. We must continue the story to let him know, praise God that Jesus came. But he came for a purpose. And the thing that puts the greatest smile on Jesus's face is when he sees that his purpose for coming is being fulfilled in the lives of his people. And my brothers and sisters, the reality is there's a reason why Christianity is declining. Because a lot of people are talking about the reality of Jesus being here. They're talking about the reality that Jesus came, but they're not seeing something about that good news. Let me remind you of what good news is. Go to Romans chapter one. You see in Romans one, God wanted to remind his people that there is good news about the fact that Christ came, but there's something that was supposed to be attached to that good news. And it's found in the book of Romans chapter one. It is in Romans chapter one, when we consider verse 16 and 17, that the Bible reminds us about 
the good news about Christ coming and doing the work that he did. And the Bible says in Romans 1 and verse 16, if you're there, just say amen. amen. It says in Romans 1 and verse 16, for I am not ashamed of what? The gospel of Christ, for it is the what? Power of God unto what? Salvation to how many? Everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, verse 17, for therein or in the gospel, it says what? For therein is the righteousness of God. What? Wait a minute. The righteousness of God is what? Revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. You see, the reason why so many people are walking away from the church and walking away from God and walking away from Christianity is because we're talking a message, but they're not seeing the power. They want to see the power. And there are two things that Jesus brought out very, very clearly from his own mouth that will help people believe that he truly came and that he came to accomplish the mission of which he was sent for and can accomplish that mission of which he was sent for. The Bible spells it out like this. I want you to watch this. If we can go to the screen now. The Bible says something in the book of John, chapter 13. Verse 35 is something that I would imagine we've heard before, right? John 13, 35 says, By this shall all men know that you are what? My disciples. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love one to another. Now, Jesus knew the world is going to struggle believing in him. Jesus knew the world is going to struggle really appreciating him for who he is. Like I told you, Christmas season is still, to a large degree, a very selfish season. It's a season where we're focused more on us than on him. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to focus on me, if, if, if he's really the reason for the season, he does not want us just to focus on the fact he was born. He wants us to focus on the fact that he was born with a purpose. And the purpose for which he was born is that he might deliver you and that he might deliver me from this terrible thing that separates man from God, separates families, and separates us even from life itself. And it's something terrible called sin. And Jesus wants us to understand that in his father giving of himself to you and I, it was so that we might have victory over the things that was dominating us before we received him. Now watch this. Jesus says people are not going to believe unless they see something in every single one of us. The Christmas season has been given to us as a most monumental witnessing opportunity. I'm telling you the truth. There is no time of the year that people are more prepared to hear the everlasting gospel, to receive Christ, their righteousness in their hearts than the month of December. There's just no better time of the year because this is the time that people, when you try to go to somebody in June and July, you're going to people when they're getting ready for all sorts of party time. They're getting ready to get on vacation, get off of work and go to all sorts of secular events where people practice all sorts of lewdness and sin. During December, it's cold, so people aren't going out as much. People are just simply going to work and back. And it's a whole month that they're just focusing on the man of Calvary. It's a tremendous time to tell the story of Jesus. But our story is not merely that he was born. Our story is that he was born for a purpose. And his purpose was that he might save and deliver you and deliver me from the very thing that creates the worst of bondage. And it is that thing called sin. 
But how can people believe this when God's people are unloving one toward another? Just think about it, family. How can people believe this? And this is why Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have what? Love. One toward another. Now, when we talk about love, I'm not talking about a goody, goody, wishy-washy thing that makes excuses for sins and all this type of stuff. And that's why verse 34 is very important, because verse 34 says a new commandment I give unto you that you do love one another. But what's the qualifier? As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And by this men shall know. How are we doing with that? When we want to tell the story of the man of Calvary, as a church, as a family, how are we doing not demonstrating love because we all have perverted love? We all have self-centered love. Remember I told you about that? We could, we could do a lot of nice things, but it could be very self-centered, right? But here goes God saying, listen, it is not that I want you to share love one toward another. He says, I want you to share my love one toward another. Now, what does God's love look like? You remember in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, you know, this is what we call the love chapter, right? And when you think about the love chapter, we have a great admonishment from the pen of inspiration. The pen of inspiration says, the Lord desires me to call the attention of his people to the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Read this chapter how often? Read this chapter every day and from it obtain comfort and strength. Learn from it the value that God places on sanctified, heaven-born love. And let the lesson that it teaches come home to your hearts. Learn that Christ-like love is of heavenly birth and that without it, all other qualifications are worthless. So when we are supposed to study this every day, very few people do it, that's why there's such a lack of love in God's church. Okay? There goes the answer. So let's stop being confused about it. Why is there such a lack of love in God's church? It's because we don't dwell on it. You see, by beholding, you become changed. If you behold love, then you become lovable. If we don't behold love, then we don't become lovable. It's very simple. Now watch this. When we look at 1 Corinthians 13, it's verses 4 through 8 that really breaks down love, right? And what does it say? Love is long-suffering, which means... It endures patiently. So this is what God is saying is do you and do I demonstrate this one toward another? OK, because it's by this. This is Christ like love. We're reading by this shall all men know that we are his disciples, that we were sent and that he came. Now, watch. love is long suffering or endures patiently. Every description next to the word is literally from the Greek. So it's actually from the original language of the text. So watch this. Love is kind, which means to be benevolent, to desire to help others. How many of us wake up every day with an actual desire to help others? That's why as a minister, I never beg the saints to go into the field. You'll never see me do that. Because if I got to beg you to go into the field, you'd be dangerous in the field. Because you're going to serve a bunch of people you don't like. And you're going to serve a lot of people you probably don't care about. And it might come across. You know, I have a friend one time, he was doing canvassing. That's providing truth-filled literature to go ahead and educate and enlighten people on God and his present truth. And this brother did not have a love for souls. So you know what happened? He went to this guy on the street. Hey, sir, I wanted to tell you such and such about God and so on. And he gave the guy the book. True story. The guy took the book, looked at the book and said, I don't want this garbage, and threw the book back at the guy. 
The guy got hit in his chest with the book and then it fell on the ground. You know what that brother did? He said, really? Okay. Picked up the book and said, forget you and threw the book back at the guy. What are the chances that he's going to win that brother to Christ? Oh, no, it's not it's not going to work out very good. This coming GYC, however, there's a friend of mine that'll be speaking. His name is Sebastian Braxton. I've known Sebastian for many, 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 many years. And Sebastian's my boy, and he's, he's a real good brother. And Sebastian was doing canvassing. And Sebastian came to a door, and he was doing canvassing, and he knocked on a door. And he was like, hi, I wanted to tell you about such and such and such, and tell him about Jesus. And the person said, wait right here. Person came back with a pot filled with water, not boiling water, but a pot filled with water. Went over to him. Whoosh, and threw the water all over Sebastian. And then she said, goodbye, boom, slams the door. Sebastian is drenched in water, his books are wet, and Sebastian has to make a decision on what he's going to do. So you know what Sebastian does? That brother, ding dong, and rings the doorbell again. The lady opens the door, confrontational. She says, yes, and he was like, would you happen to have a towel? And that lady started laughing. I mean, she just starts, <laughs> she says, I can't believe this. I just humiliated you. And here it is that you're just coming to me so kind and asking for a towel. Come inside. He comes inside. She gives him a towel. She says, what was this stuff anyhow you were trying to share with me? He ends up telling her about the books. She buys all the wet books. She enters Bible studies and later on becomes a baptized member of the church. Love is long-suffering. Love is kind. That even when you give me wickedness, I will give you kindness in return. Jesus says, by this, people will know you are my disciples. By this. Continuing, it says, it envies not. It covets. It's, it's not jealous over. Like when people have good stuff happen to them, all that's going on inside of their mind is that they are happy for the person but they're not jealous over the individual because they have more than what you have. They accomplish more than what you accomplished. They did more or what have you. This is what love is. It also says love is not puffed up. It's not boastful and it's not proud. This is what love is. Imagine if we studied this every day. It is not boastful. It is not proud. It says it doesn't behave itself unseemly. It's never unbecoming, indecent and unattractive in attitude. Never unbecoming, indecent, and unattractive in attitude. You know, back in the days in the street, we'd say people have a stink attitude. That would be the term you say, you say, man, this person got a stink attitude. Like, I don't believe ugly is a look. I believe ugly is a character. Nobody looks ugly, but you can be ugly. Just by the way you treat people. By the way you handle people in situations. God says, this is what will help people believe. Is the more that we are long-suffering, kind, do not envy, are not puffed up, and do not behave ourselves unseemly before each other, this will help the world believe that I came. And then Christmas will no longer become a shallow story. I would like for you one day to really read the book of Hosea. When you read the book of Hosea, do you know religion and worship got so bad in Israel that if you remember anything about the priests, the priests had no inheritance. The priests would not get an inheritance. So the only thing a priest would get is whatever comes to the sanctuary. 
It's like when people would bring the animals and the offerings and whatnot, like the, the remaining parts of the animal and so on, the priests would get that and they'd get to bring that home and so on. They, that, that was like their inheritance, whatever was coming to the sanctuary. Do you know the priests became so corrupt? And you read in the book of Hosea chapter 3 and chapter 4. The priests became so corrupt that they looked forward to the people sinning. They actually looked forward to it. And the reason they looked forward to it is because that's when they knew they were going to increase their inheritance. Something that was designed to teach such a beautiful lesson, something that was supposed to teach the beautiful story of the Messiah soon to come, that men's hearts could become so corrupt that they would look forward to people sinning just so they could increase themselves and forget the whole lesson of the sanctuary services. This is what constantly happens to the people of God. And this is what has happened largely even with the holiday called Christmas. We have forgotten that the focus was supposed to be on the gift of the son. And in that focus of the gift of the son, we are to remember why he came to be that gift. To save me from those things that keep controlling my life. And we don't understand the worst sin is to be an unloving and unlovable person. And some of us need to be delivered from that. We can get caught up into the fact that I show up to a church every Saturday, but that in and of itself does not mean we're Christians. We can get caught up in the fact that we, yes, I don't kill people and I don't steal, but just that alone does not mean that we are Christians. For 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7 says, God looks upon the heart. I could shake your hand and hug you and wish you the worst of evils at the same time. But God says a heart like this of what we're studying, God says this is the heart we all need. And that's why he came. He came to give us his heart. Let this mind or heart be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, I want you to learn how to love like I love. Because this has a dual effect. It will not only bless you, it'll bless everybody else around you. And it'll help them believe that I really did come. Not just to be born, but I really did come to fulfill my mission. Now watch this. Love is, oh, look at this, saints. Check your hearts, family. As we read this, search your heart. Be praying, Lord, is this me? Love is not glad when wrong things happen, but only when right things happen. You ever been glad when somebody is hurting because they chose not to get vaccinated and they might even die. And there are so-called Christians that actually say things like, good for them. They deserved it. They were so ignorant. They were caught up in conspiracy theories, etc. They were foolish. They didn't get vaccinated. And now they're dead. Good for them. They deserved it. Do you know Christian people had thoughts like that? Maybe I should say so-called Christian people. Because a Christian would not think like that. But you know that that represents probably some of us even in this room. And God is trying to say, listen, family, we choose to sin and sin is the worst disease that hit this planet. And if you're going to knock and beat people up because they choose to get vaccinated or not. Then how should God treat you and I when we know that we're doing wrong in our sins? And playing with that disease and spreading it to other people around us. Love is never glad or rejoices 
when something bad happens to somebody. God's love doesn't do that. And if his love is in our hearts, we should not do that. Can the church say amen? God wants us to understand, beloved, this is very, very serious. I don't like vain. God hates vain stuff. He doesn't like vain repetitions. He doesn't like vain actions. He doesn't like vain observations, even of a holiday. He says, if Jesus really is the reason for the season, then let's focus on him. And it's not just simply that he was born. He was born with a purpose. And that great purpose was to take something away and to give something in his place. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world by taking away that stony heart. And then he gives us a heart of flesh. And this is what the heart of flesh looks like. And Jesus says, the more that we have this, wow. But it gets deeper. Watch this. Love endures trials patiently. It never stops trusting and is in a constant state of hope. I'm just trying to show you what love is. This is the thing we're supposed to read every day. You see, God has no problem letting people like him in his house. The problem God has is letting people not like him in his house. And remember, the Bible spells it out so clear, doesn't it? God is love. So when you're reading what love is, you can take love out and put God. God is. And when God says, I want you to be holy as I'm holy, I want you to have my character. What God is trying to say is, this is what I want you to be. But watch this. Love is something that never stops. But watch this, family, because I see you taking pictures. One more, sh- one more slide, one more piece on this slide. This is the most shocking part about love. Because remember, Jesus says, it's by this that people will believe. Watch. Love is long-suffering and enduring patiently. It's kind, benevolent, desires to help others. It envies not. It's not covetous and it's not jealous over others. It's not puffed up, boastful and proud. It does not behave unseemly, unbecoming, indecent, and unattractive behaviors. It's not glad when wrong things happen, but only when right things happen. And then it says, and endures trials patiently, never stops trusting, constant state of hope, something that never stops. This is what love is. This is what God demonstrated, not to his friends, but to his enemies. This is how the world will believe. This is how the world will believe. When as a people on earth that demonstrates this, not just to family members and friends, but to the very people that hurt them. The very people that were against them. The very people that practiced and planned some of the most evil things. And here it is. This is how we are towards our enemies. The Bible makes it very clear. People that act like this helps non-believers believe. And that's what we need to emphasize during Christmas. Is the fact that Christ came to demonstrate this. And he wanted this to be demonstrated in us. And when it is demonstrated in us, it will help people believe we really are, in fact, his disciples. The Bible is very clear. When we think of our beloved Savior, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. And now we can appreciate that word love a little bit better. That's what God had toward the world, right? The world, his enemies. That's how Romans uh, 5 describes it. Romans 5 and verse 10, it calls us enemies. When we were yet enemies, God did this. And somebody says, does God really want me to go all out like that for others? And the answer is absolutely, because hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Can you imagine that God wants us to serve to the point of being uncomfortable? Lay down your life for the brethren. Not the brethren that were just cool with you and good with you, but the brethren that were not cool and not good with you. This is what helps people believe. This will help us believe. And that's why I'm just trying to encourage you, family, when we think about this Christmas season, because I've, I've been thinking about it. I don't like wasting time. I hate wasting time, actually, I'll be honest with you. It's like I really don't like wasting time. And I promise you, what we need to understand is that God is saying, listen, Jesus came, but he came for a reason. And we need to remember the reason for the season. And when he came, he says, I came because I, wanted, I need to put my love into your heart. I need to put my love into your heart. And this love will produce unity. Because notice what the text says. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. You see, so Christianity's dying, in all honesty, because of us. Because Jesus has given us the formula. This is how people will know that I came. This is how people will know that I'm real, is when you demonstrate my love one toward another and have my unity. And so I believe on this Christmas day, this gift-giving day, and I'm sure many of us are going to give gifts. Some of us are going to leave here. We're going to go to our homes or wherever, and we're going to have some things we're going to give to others. And there's nothing wrong with giving gifts, family. There's no sin in that. I mean, we could turn it into sin if we wanted to. But generally speaking, there's nothing wrong with giving a gift, something that somebody needs, something that will put a genuine smile on someone's face, something that will make somebody's life more productive, more happy, healthy, holy. Nothing wrong with that. There's no sin in that. But there's a gift that God wants to give us. This is a gift that God wants us to receive even now. It is the most precious gift. The most precious gift. And God's been giving this gift out every day. But I'm thankful that he wants to give it out today because here's the reality. The reality is, is that you and I cannot demonstrate Christ-like love and you and I cannot have Christ-like unity without this gift. And that gift is none other than God's Holy Spirit. The Bible says, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. My brothers and sisters, this is the gift we need. This is the gift we need. And this is the gift that God is ready to give today. While there's a lot of gift distribution, there's a gift coming from heaven that I pray every single one of us receive. And that is the gift, the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. And you know what's deep is when you get a chance, we don't have to turn to it right now, but you could look at it. In Romans 5 and verse 5, you know what it says? It says the love of God is put 
inside of our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So literally, the ability for me to love you like Christ loves you, to demonstrate that 1 Corinthians 13 love, can only happen by the gift of God's Spirit. Then in Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, it literally says the unity of the Spirit. The only unity that you and I can truly have, the oneness, it can only happen. Not by might or by power, but by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. So that gift of the Spirit of God is available right now. And how do we receive the gift? It says very clearly, ask. Ask ye the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. God says, ask, ask for the gift. Literally, as a mother and father love to give good gifts unto their children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Luke 11 and verse 13. God makes it very clear. This gift is available. This gift is available. And this is the most precious gift that heaven wants to give on this Christmas day so that we can demonstrate the great gift that came to this world 2000 years ago. And so it is the servant of the Lord says in closing, the lapse of time has wrought no change in Christ's parting promise to send the Holy Spirit as his representative. It's it is not because of any restriction on the part of God that the riches of his grace do not flow earthward to men. If the fulfillment of the promise is not seen as it might be, it is because the promise is not appreciated as it should be. If all were willing, all would be filled with the spirit. It says wherever the need of the Holy Spirit is a matter little thought of. There is seen spiritual drought, spiritual darkness, spiritual declension and death. So if you see these things in your home, if you see these things in your life, if you see these things in our church. God is saying the reason why is because there's little appreciation for the only one that can bring life. And that is that most precious gift, the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. It says whenever minor matters occupy the attention. You know, if we pleaded and fought and worked as hard to make sure all of us are filled with the Holy Spirit like we do with getting these potlucks together. Man. We'd be a way more powerful church. I have never talked about potluck so much in my life. <laughs> never talked so much about it. I'm like, literally, I'm like, I can't believe it. we're having lots, lots of conversations about potluck. And I've been an Adventist for over 30 years. And I've never talked about potluck so much. And I'm grateful. I mean, I'm grateful. And, and hey, people are grateful. We have, we have had visitors come here, and they literally, they, they have highlighted the fellowship and the potlucks and wanting to come back to hear more messages about God. So those potlucks are very powerful. And again, I say thank you to every single precious soul that has involved themselves in the potluck. Thank you. Seriously, thank you. But my brother, I think I, this is how my mind thinks. I said, Lord, if, if, if we work this hard to make sure that we are unified in the spirit, the work that we do for some of these temporal things. Oh, man, if what if we what if we put the emphasis on this? It says whenever minor matters occupy the attention, the divine power, which is necessary for the growth and prosperity of the church and which would bring all other blessings in its train is lacking. 
though offered in infinite plenitude. It's like God is like, man, I am so ready. God is like, I'm ready to pour out this most precious gift. It concludes, since this is the means by which we are to receive power, why do we not hunger and thirst for the gift of the Spirit? Why do we not talk of it, pray for it, and preach concerning it? The Lord is more willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who serve him than parents are to give good gifts to their children. For the daily baptism of the Spirit of every worker should offer his petition to God. Companies of Christian workers should gather to ask for special special help for heavenly wisdom that they may know how to plan and execute wisely. That's why we need to pray even for the smallest duties, whether it be the potluck or anything else. We need to spend time in prayer. We need to plead for God's spirit to help us. We can't solve problems, beloved, but God can. It says, especially should they pray that God will baptize his chosen ambassadors in mission fields with a rich measure of his spirit. The presence of the spirit with God's workers will give the proclamation of truth a power that not all the honor or glory of the world could give. This is what is available to us today, a most precious gift. And so I thank God for the gift of his son. I reflect on Christ and I reflect on why he came. And I am very thankful for the Christmas season like never before. I appreciate Christmas more than ever. And because it's an opportunity to meditate in a special way on that beloved and precious gift that came to every single one of us. But more importantly, not merely that the gift came, but the gift came with a purpose. And my prayer is that that purpose might be fulfilled. And it cannot be fulfilled in you. And it cannot be fulfilled by me by mere might or human determination. It can only be by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And that gift is available to all of us if we would simply ask. And so at this time, I believe that the Lord wants to solve problems in our homes because we know maybe God's love is not there like it should be, right? I spent a whole month going over God's plan to restore the broken family. And I know a lot of our families are broken. God has given me one little gift of discerning, and, 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 and I, I can see a lot of people hurting, man. And it's like people are hurting. And sometimes you get trained so well by the, by the Lord, you can see through the smile. You can see through the kind gestures of others, and you can see people are hurting. They're hurting real bad. And they're crying out for freedom, even though they're not using those exact words. But you can see they're crying out for freedom. It's like the man sick of the palsy. He comes down. Everybody wants him to get physically well. But Jesus could see more. And that's why Jesus' first words to that brother was, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. That's the kind of discernment we need, don't we? We need the spirit of God to be able to see circumstances for what they really are. To be able to address issues in a way that God would be glorified and his people, us, would be edified. The Spirit of God helps us with all of these things. Marriages that are broken and going through all this drama, if we spent more time in prayer, not even praying for the other person, Lord, fix this husband of mine, fix this wife of mine, but no, Lord, take more charge of my heart. Give me your spirit. Help me to see. You remember when the Bible says the, the, the Spirit of God comes and it says when he comes, he reveals sin, righteousness, and judgment. I want God's spirit. Lord, help me see myself for who I am. My mind is deceitful. I'll say stuff about myself that's not even true. Help me to see myself for who I am and help me to see my true condition, Lord. All of this comes from the gift of God's spirit. 
that way that we live, move, and have our being is by the Spirit of the living God. And so there's a most precious gift that God has availed to us for a long time. That precious gift is available to us today. And my question to you is how many of us are willing to receive that gift? And if you're willing to receive that gift, then please stand to your feet with me. Because I'm letting you know something right now. Listen, I've said this many times about Jesus, many times about Jesus. There are many things that Christ is to us, many things. But if there's one thing I know for sure Jesus is not, is a comedian. He's not a comedian. You know what comedians do for a living? They tell jokes. And when Jesus says what he says to us in his words, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. I will help you. He wasn't joking. He was serious. And the Son of Man has come that he might deliver and that he might empower us to overcome those things that dominate us. And family, I'm tired of being dominated. I'm tired of things having control over my life and going into these deep states of repentance and what have you. Like, Lord, I did it again. Please forgive me, Father. God says, listen, I can keep you from falling. And I could present you faultless. I can present you faultless. You don't present yourself faultless. We had a good study on that last night. You don't present yourself faultless. God says, I will present you faultless. He's the one that says you have victory, not you. Please don't go around telling people, I have victory over sin. (laughs) That's not for you to say. That's for him to say. You just keep forgetting the things that are behind, reaching for the things that are before, and you keep pressing toward that mark. That's your job. That's my job. He makes the final declarations. But family, my hope and my prayer is that we receive the gift of heaven, the outpouring of God's spirit, the greatest Christmas gift we could receive. I promise you, there is no greater gift that we can receive than the true indwelling in the heart of God's Holy Spirit. Let's pray for this even now. Our loving Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your Son. And Lord, we are so grateful that you knew that people are going to struggle believing. People are going to struggle trusting. And so you promised a comforter. You promised that you would give us one who will be the representative of Jesus in each of our hearts. And that is none other than your Holy Spirit. And just to think, all you want us to do is ask, believe, and receive. And so, Father, we are asking for your Holy Spirit to work out his way within our hearts. We believe that he can and will do what you have promised, which is to take away the stony heart and give us a heart that is able to love as you love. And Lord, I pray that it might prompt a true biblical unity, one amongst another, that it will cause us, our families, and those outside of our home to actually believe that Jesus did come to this world. And he was not merely born, but he was born for a purpose. That purpose was to deliver us from the power and the bondage of sin. And this is the last message to go forward in a world that is soon to perish. Please, Father, keep us faithful. Bless each and every one of us. Meet our needs, dear God, where we have it deepest and most. And may we rejoice in the most precious gift that we have received today by faith. In the worthy and mighty name of Jesus, let everyone say, Amen. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.